Welcome to Al Dente Rigamortis. I'm Review Cultist, and tonight we have some special guests. Yes, hello. Um, I'm Matt from The Drunk and the Ugly. Hi, I'm Sam, also from The Drunk and the Ugly. We're here today to talk to you about, uh, have, have you heard the word of Jesus Christ? <laughs> uh, yep, and his horrific, horrific angels. Yes. Uh, yes, we have special guests tonight. For our special episode, where we just dis- uh, we decide to discuss the Icker Falls stories, Woo. Uh, well, some of them, yeah, some of them. <laughs> um, we'll be doing um, Lemon Blossom Girl, uh, the Opossum Society, uh, Curious Little Things, and the Fulcrum. And for those of you just tuning in for the first time, um, Icker Falls is kind of creepy pasta, <laughs> which is. Uh, a series of campfire sto- of scary campfire stories that are on the internet that get copied and pasted across the internet, and so the term for them got turned into copy pasta, and the creepy ones are creepy pasta. So um, let's start with uh, let's start with our guests for uh, the stories. So uh, which one of you guys wants to do yours first? Um, Matt, which one are you doing? You're doing lemon. I'm balls? doing curious little thing. Curious little thing. Start with curious little thing because curious little thing is kind of. Aside from Candle Cove, Curious Little Thing is one of the defining stories of Icker Falls. So yeah, yeah. give it give it a go. All right, yeah. So um, I mean, just to to break it down in the in the broadest strokes, uh, Curious Little Thing follows. Um, it, it follow. We don't really get any information on who the main character is, um, but it follows a guy who stays at a hotel in the 1930s called the Hotel Umbra. Um, who talks about his talks about his stay there, and more peculiarly, um, a little girl that he keeps that he keeps seeing just before he closes any doors, or just as he opens any doors. Um, he's informed that this that this little girl is uh, uh, the attendant at the hotel. Says that's our Maddie, and she she's sweet on you. She does she she does it to everybody, and it, everybody just kind of treats it like it's a regular thing there. Um, but. The guy says that it, it freaked him out. He tried to, uh, he stayed, he was supposed to stay in the hotel for four days. He ended up spending the last night in his car trying to avoid it eventually. And, uh, then after he leaves, then after he leaves the town, he keeps seeing Maddie whenever he closes any door. He eventually develops sort of a, he eventually develops a sort of a fear of opening or closing doors to the point where now he doesn't, he doesn't open his eyes in a room until he's closed every door and window and thinks he's, uh, rid himself of it. Um, up until the final line in the story where he says, uh, I was getting ready for bed a few nights ago, standing in front of the bathroom mirror, door shut, cabinet shut, watching myself floss. I opened up wide to get my molars, and I swear I saw my, her fingertips retreat down the back of my throat. Yep, that still gives me spine chilling. <laughs> the uh, the one that uh, makes me kind of freak a little bit is when she is uh, upside down at the top of his windshield, uh, yeah. on the roof, darting away from his view. Like that one's. <laughs> yeah, she's just always. Yeah, so yeah, she's just always kind of out of sight. <laughs> yeah. Not, oh yeah, exactly, like, just always in the corner of your eye, kind of, yeah. <laughs> just kind of a nerd, always trying, and she's always trying to, like, like run at it, 
isn't she? Or, or yeah, she's she, trying to like she, get into view. She rushes at the at gaps. Um, and yeah, whenever. So, so when you when you're about to when you're closing a door, you'll see her like start running towards the door just before it closes. Yeah. I think then, the first the first encounter the character has is uh, he's in an elevator and as the door is just about to close, he sees someone tries to push the door open button to let them in, and then she's not there anymore when the door opens again. Yeah, and then there's yeah. a a great paragraph where the first time I sat at that writing table, I saw her as I closed the large bottom drawer. She rushed at the gap from inside the drawer, her wide eyes pleading for something I could not give. Like just that. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty disturbing. <laughs> Um, so Matt, do you want to, do you want to talk about this? Cause I, I will just start ranting and raving about how great this story is, but I want you to get yours in first before I dominate the conversation here. Um, so I think honestly, we're probably going to talk about the same thing. Cause the main reason I, the main reason I ended up picking this story, um, uh, the main, the main reason I ended up picking this story was just because like. I read through it, and then I'm like, huh, this seems really familiar. And then I remembered another work of Chris Straub called <laughs> Brood Hollow. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And even the first chapter, even the first uh, book of, of Brood Hollow is called A Curious Little Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's also one of the first things that that guy, the, the character, actually encounters or they address in Brood Hollow. Yep. Well, yeah, well, his, the first thing in Brood Hollow the character has is he has this unnatural fear of closing doors. Yeah. And that's before he encounters Maddie in that setting. Um, um, yeah, talk, talk about this in the context of, of Icker Falls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get Root another thing. We'll get <laughs> Root Hall will happen eventually, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it feels like it's definitely, like, I don't know, when I was reading it, it sounded very much like a um, like a standard ghost story that you'd hear from, um, uh, like, from like a haunting in real life kind of thing to me. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's like yeah. just like, just that like, kind of like, like actually like if you watch like any of those ghost adventure sh- shows or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they, they usually do, uh, like, like be at a creepy manor or some kind of hotel. And they're like, that kind of story exists in all, like a, a bunch of those kind of like hotel hauntings. Um, that's, that's well, it's, yeah, of... it's, it's the sort of, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the standard kind of haunting story because it's, it's, it's the you know it's the ghost that you see out of the corner of your eye. It's the thing that you see when you want to see a ghost. Like yeah, you you're, you you just misinterpret something. You just misinterpret something as a ghost. In this case, in this case, it's actually a real thing. And the second thing, the second thing that's interesting about this is that is the hotel attendant who just says like, oh yeah, she's been here for a long time. She really she she likes her gentleman guests. Just been shy. That alone's kind of creepy. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. One of and one of the really effective parts of this story is just from its basic construction, um, and that's one of the things the Iker Falls stories all do is is they are excellent bits of microfiction before they are creepypasta. Um, you know, creepypasta is not generally written well or structured well from a basic story writing standpoint. But curious little thing. The first encounter with Maddie, I mean, the curious little thing is one, two, three and a half, four and a half pages. And the first encounter with Maddie takes up a page and a half. Like it is the, that, that first elevator door encounter is the starting point of the story. I mean, it, it, it is the thing that you are immediately scared of and it's presented innocuously enough that you know, something is wrong and that there are 
that this will be the crux of the story, but you haven't hit the turn of the story into where it's horrific yet. Yeah, and it it escalates pretty well. Before she becomes Little Miss Stalker. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and that turn is really effective because the turn of the story, the, the point from which it becomes just, you know, this is a thing that was occurring to me into here is the inevitability of the horror is that hotel attendant. It's, you know, it's it's the guy just saying, yeah, it happens, but she's sweet on you now, and she's gonna, she's just wants to see. And then from there it becomes, you know, you get single paragraph indications of each encounter. I mean, you've got the door to the bathroom, the closet door, the writing table, the car, and then, you know, a bit more description, and then the very last line of the most horrific one of the fingertips retreating down the back of the throat well and i think the other thing that's yeah and i think the other thing that's interesting about it is that it is that it escalates not by becoming more horrific but like the attendant uh basically sets some rules that maddie follows and Mm -hmm. over the course of the story like he says that she that she takes an interest in in gentlemen that stay at the hotel and you'll see her as you you'll see her as you close doors and she keeps kind of like warping that slowly that it's 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 implied to us that she is that she only stays in the hotel which is why the guy stays in his car but then he finds that no she'll she'll cut she'll keep coming after you even if you're in your car and then he starts closing his eyes when he closes his doors but then he finds out that no she'll she'll go towards any small gap she'll she'll follow she'll follow you everywhere and like it's this sort of like she kind of it's this sort of horror thing where she kind of follows a rule but then continues to bend it to just like keep it going yeah like to make it like a little bit more surreal like as it goes on like at first it's just normal like she's just like could be anybody trying to get to a door and just at that uh creek or at that crack um and then starts doing things like go be appearing inside of a drawer yeah <laughs> as it's about to close or like even more sinister, like, and then yeah, like you said, like he tries to like just sleep in his car, and she just uh, peeks out um, over the uh, the windshield, which is just kind of unnerving. <laughs> thinking about that, um, um, and then the final one, which is she's starting to just come out of like every little space exactly. that he sees. The other really impressive thing about this story that it it does without you realizing it is it actually presents the horror as something that the main character has gotten used to, and allows you to experience what because it starts with him essentially describing this as an odd habit in that he enters a room shuts the door turns his face away from it until he hears the lock click and only then does he open his eyes like and he says like it's been a year since he's been back from the hotel like maddie keeps coming back to him so this is essentially something he's gotten used to but Maddie is insistent, and I think that's the scary part of it, is it's a ghost that follows a certain set of rules that then starts warping those rules in a way that she needs to. Like, she she is an insistent thing and trying to get his attention. I think that's yeah. the scariest part of it, is that it's a ghost that has agency. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, he can ignore it all he likes. She's just going to keep trying to find ways to break him <laughs> yeah and, and, um, and it's it's not even certain that she's breaking him or you know even trying to drive him insane yeah because... we don't we don't know we don't we we i think the, the that's the other kind of scary part of it is that we don't know what maddie's motivation is or what her intentions are we just know that she does this thing yeah and she is yeah. building to a more 
frantic or intrusive or invasive point. And uh, that's, you know, in, in creepy pasta fashion, like it doesn't give us an answer. It doesn't give us a final climax of, you know, sorting out the actual story of Maddie. It just is, here is what she is doing and here's why it's getting worse. And that's yeah. effective. It's very effective. Yeah. Um, Dr. Leviathan, would you like anything to keep up? No. No? Okay. Um, Tim Horton is still getting going in him. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... um, Not sure what else I had to say about that. (laughs) Um, Uh, I will say that um, of all of the Icker Falls stories, I obviously read Candle Cove first because... And that's mostly just a a factor of the way that I found um, Candle Cove uh, as, like, uh, it, it was something that got linked to me via, you know, a, a, an internet forum or something along the lines. Like, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I found Candle Cove first and then started reading the rest of the Icker Falls stories. But Curious Little Thing was the first Icker Falls story I read of the cycle that are the actual Icker Falls stories, the ones in the book. Because Candle yeah, Cove yeah. Is, is very much not those. Like, Candle Cove is, is very different and was not... Yeah, even, it's... Yeah. I think they, they do hint at something like Ashland, which is apparently near Icker Falls, but that's really the only connecting factor. There's nothing... Like, it, it doesn't tie it to Icker Falls itself. Right, yeah. and almost all of the other books, or other stories in the book, is I, I think all of them, actually... Well, no, there's a couple that don't. But they're almost all presented as first person or as somebody telling you a story... Uh, like uh, of the you know uh, of a legend or you know there's a there's descriptions of things but most of them are presented from the perspective of an actual character whereas candle cove is very much not um but uh, a curious little thing is and that really sets the stage for a lot of the ways that the rest of the icker falls stories are told yeah um and it's also the first actual story in the book which is worth noting because you have uh, five or ten pages of introduction to the setting in the book, um, yeah. which sort of functions as its own story and, and its own bit of creepypasta in general, just because it's this, you know, uh, the, this description of this crazy town. It's it's yeah it's it's well yeah, it's, it's kind of it's, it's yeah. kind of like yeah it's kind of like found film or found footage but in novel form. Yeah, found history book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, there's <clears throat> some of the stories, I mean, they aren't, like, there is a narrative to it, but it's, like, sometimes they're, they um, they seem incomplete, or they're not conventional story-telling yeah. method. Um, but, yeah, it's very, yeah, like like uh, Matt said, it was it's very much like a found footage style of writing. <laughs> yeah, and A Curious Little Thing really just hammers home the, the idea that of the agency of this place that, you know, that... Chris very much wants to get across. It's mm-hmm. it's cool. It's it's a really good story. Yeah, I think I all I think for the most part we're fans of this freaking uh, series of books. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do we want to move on? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think we've said all we can about this three and a half page story. <laughs> yeah, we managed to talk for, about it for about twenty minutes. Um, yeah, I've seen do that. Do we want to go in? Book order, or just bounce around? Because next is Lemon Blossom Girl, if that's what we want to. Yeah, I can do Lemon Blossom Girl. Um, yeah, let's... I actually have notes for that one. So let's talk about that. <clears throat> All right. So for Lemon Blossom Girl, the rundown. Um, it's uh, this kid. He when he's six, he's at a, he goes to a museum with his dad and sees uh, a crouched bog mummy 
or one of those bog bodies. And it's named the Lemming Blossom Girl. And it just kind of freaks them out because it's it's just misshapen and leathery and grotesque. Um, and then the night begins, uh, that night he begins having nightmares of the mummy in his house. Um, and he can't move, but he knows it's there in typical dream logic. Um, and then he has those nightmares for a while, uh, but eventually they go away. Uh, and then it fast forwards to when he's 12 and he moves to the West Coast. Uh, or, sorry, uh, moves from, uh, to the East Coast to, like, Boston area uh, and attends a, a nice school, and they have a lot of field trips. So on one of the field trips, they go to a museum, and he encounters the Lemon Blossom Girl again in another in a separate exhibit. And shortly thereafter, or, or he finds a, a little bit more out about, the, um, about her, like they describe a little bit more about her history and stuff, uh, about how she was from South America and whatnot. <clears throat> and then... Uh, she, he starts having the nightmares again. Um, however, this time it's, uh, he knows that, uh, it, she was actually pregnant when she died. So now he's having nightmares of her holding this mummified baby. Um, I can't remember if it's, uh, is, is she shuffling at this point or is she just still just standing around in the, in, in his house? Yeah. She walks, shambles slowly, carrying her infant in her arms, its skin across between leather and paper stretched tightly across blackened bones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, she's starting to, she's starting to become mobile now in the, in the dreams. Um, but eventually the nightmares do pass, um, and middle school and high school go by. Uh, It's like barely, it's just, it's just skimmed. Um, and now he's in college, uh, and he finds a, uh, he's, he put a, um, what's the words? Um, letters out, uh, to, uh, to different universities and colleges. Nothing, comes back. So he tries one in West Virginia and lo and behold, he gets one in this backwater, um, campus. And, um, they happen to have a, and on one day he, uh, he's walking back to his, uh, his dorm and he, uh, goes by the cultural center and it's next to his dorm. So he figures he'll go check that out. And then he f- sees it again, the lemon blossom girl. Um, and it's the same one. And then he starts just kind of breaking a little bit. <laughs> Um, he starts re- like thinking that this thing is just has always been an exhibit. It has never been like it, it didn't have an, a, an origin. It's just always been on display, and it's always been like staring at back at him in those dead eye like those dead um, eye holes. Um, and so he freaks out a little bit, um, co- goes back to his dorm, and or um, uh, learns a little bit more about the thing. But then get, uh, leaves the the culture center. Uh, and then for the last six nights, he's been having nightmares of the mummy and her child in hand, shuffling ever, ever closer to him, thinking dark thoughts at him as he is helpless in his bed. Uh, it's getting, and it just seems to be getting closer and closer every time. Um, and then the last bit of the story tells that he's grabbed a can of gasoline and some matches and is pr- uh, presumably going to burn the mummy um, to try and stop it from uh, its dream advances and the, just the stalking horror um, that it's kind of been, uh, emanating for, uh, for him for like most of his life or most of his young life. Yeah. Um, and one that's of, where the story ends. One of the, one of the very, uh, interesting parts of the story that I think is also worth noting is when he goes, when he sees the lemon blossom girl at the cultural center at his college, um, right before the, the final set of nightmares, um, he sees a button with loud block letters saying oh, start. Yeah. And he has sort of a yeah. mental breakdown, uh, imagining what start means if you push that button. Yeah. On start moving. Exhibit. Start breathing. <laughs> yeah. Start scratching at the glass. 
Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, uh, yeah um, no, I really liked the story, uh, just because, like, it did have, like, uh, there was a bit of, like, a sense of, like, of stalking history, like, to this thing. Like, it was, the guy, like, started at six, and it's been, like, kind of, like, following him, kind of, over the course of his of his childhood. Um, and it's almost been, like, a slow, like, it's just, like, a slow horror, where it's just been affecting him in certain key points of his life. Um... And just, like, mummies in general kind of, or, like, those, like, mummified bodies or, like, bog bodies tend to, like, be really effective because of how grotesque they are. Um, and how, like, it's almost like an uncanny valley of, um, of, like, the thing that should be decomposed, but it's, and skeleton, like, a skeleton, but yet it still has skin and flesh after so many, like, centuries of being dead. Well, and that's the really effective part of this story is that she, in each encounter with the Lemon Blossom Girl in the exhibit, uh, she is described as being less and less human. And, and I think that's the real horror that is at the core of this is the understanding of something as a dead thing that is no longer human. I think that's what's yeah. the, the really scary part of this. You know, not, not what, even... Second, sorry. What, what? Sorry, was it actually like? Is it a girl uh, that's narrating, or? Uh, no. I th well, it's it's not given. Although I think. Um... Yeah, most of these stories, it, it most of these stories um... are very ambiguous for their mm -hmm. narrators. Yeah. Um, let me read through. Keep talking. I'll read through and see if I can find any evidence. Okay. Um. Yeah. No. It's. <clears throat> um. Huh. <laughs> um. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... So one of the other things that's interesting is the less... Is that the... Um, and I guess this also follows with the, with the previous thing, that the more that the, the, more that the narrator um, sees the Lemon Blossom Girl as this dead thing that has always been dead and always been on display, the more, like, elaborate the nightmares become. Yeah, like it's... His, start, his like, mental stability is starting to break down a little bit. Um, well, and that's that's the very interesting part of the story is because it's it's presented on a couple of different axes um, because you have the the horror of or, or the implied horror, I suppose, of this this strange thing following you throughout your entire life. But there's also the very real terror of the of, it, of the narrator's nightmares. I mean, yeah. each each uh, each nightmare is is pretty horrific. Like the first nightmare is uh that there that she that the lemon blossom girl exists in the house that the narrator lives in you know and that that she's waiting and and this is a great line thinking bad thoughts with that smooth yellowing head of hers thinking of me lemon blossom girl doesn't have a whole lot of antagonistic aspect to it except along the lines of there is this thing that wants to have something to do with me and it keeps trying to have something to do with me. And it's, again, an insistent horror. It, it's something that shows up and gets closer every time, just just like, um, uh, just Maddie, like Maddie does yeah, yeah. in, in yeah. The Curious Little Thing. Um, and it's it also, also seems to be... Um, yeah, it, and I guess the, the, the narrator implies that, that, that they understand... Uh, her, they 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 understand her motivations, but that could just be a projection. Well, and it's it, sort of it's this sort of she can follow me to any museum display, but she needs my dreams to come closer to watch to hold her young. Exactly, and that that is yeah. the that is the kind of scary part of this is it's you know it it's not a it's not a story of an actual haunting, 
it can be read that way, and it can also be read as just somebody who is having a schizophrenic breakdown. Um, yeah, <clears throat> like that's one of the things I noticed that is, um, it seems to be like a self-imposed uh, traumatization, or like a self-imposed horror. Absolutely. Because the entity itself actually may not even be supernatural or anything, it's just all in his head. Yeah, he could just be the most unlucky person in the world. Yeah, exactly. It could just be that this thing just happens to be wherever he is, and or just, wherever she is, and this is a really interesting key point. I think of the story is um, the uh, the second time after the they encounter the lemon blossom girl in in the nightmare when she isn't curled up in a ball anymore and is walking carrying her infant. It the line is I knew these things was made to know these things by the dream, but again never laid eyes on her. And I think that's the key point is that the narrator is forced to know these things. There is a an element of nightmare here that is their brain or some supernatural entity, and and perhaps it doesn't even matter that uh, the difference that is forcing them to have knowledge of something that should not exist. And I think that is each of these stories kind of gets at something that is. I think very scary to Chris Straub. And I think that's the primary reason he wrote these is because he's exercising some sort of uh, horror that, or, or idea of a horrific thing. And I think that sense of dream knowing that, that you can be in this, this situation in a dream and know these things that you were not supposed to is the actual point of this story. Um, And I think it doesn't matter whether or not it's actually a supernatural entity that's really imposing dreams or trying to get closer or actually trying to, you know, kill yeah. the narrator. It's it's that mm-hmm. that this person is being forced to know something that they shouldn't, um, and I, I think that's really effective. Um, yeah, um, I, I know that. Yeah, it's, it does sound like a lot of these are actually do, like it's just Chris Straub like trying to like. Yeah, he's, I think actually I even remember uh, looking at like checking out a video of him uh, like saying like that a lot of the, the Icker Falls stuff uh, were stories that he wrote um, based off of little fears that he had um, or little like cr- like just really creepy things that he found very creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and but yeah, and I think the the strength of this story is that it is not you know, it, it is not definitively stated one way or the other what's going on. And I, I think that if it was, if it was just this monster that was using the dreams to come and get closer, it would be less scary. It wouldn't, it wouldn't. Well, be... it would, it would give it, it would give it some inherent structure. It would it, get, exactly. Like, it's, it's the, un, yeah. it's the unknowableness or the, the ineffability, I guess, is the better word that mm-hmm. make, that is what makes it. Um, the other really interesting thing is that this story stands almost entirely on its adjectives um the the descriptions of the lemon blossom girl are intricate and much more than should actually be given to a mummy you know like we have splintered wood sliding against burlap and wet paper something thick like parchment and faintly clothes a sickening thick spicy sweetness the, the number of ways that this thing is described it gives tangibility to it. It, it creates this, it, it assaults your senses with 
its sickly sweetness, and that's yeah. fucking horrific. Sorry for yeah. swearing. <laughs> also, to, also, also, to, also to break, also to break from the from the uh, from the literary uh, descriptions. I'm just gonna say the one thing, and I don't know why this is. Um, for some reason, every time there's a there's a description of the lemon blossom girl, I think of chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think it's no, because... I actually, I actually think I get it, but describe it, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think yeah. I get it. Uh, so some of it, some of it is for reasons that make sense, but some of it is also just because it's called Lemon Blossom Girl, and I think I had some like lemon garlic chicken wings at some point around there. Yeah. And so there's and then there's also this then there's also the description of very thin skin on top of very on top of visible bone and all that other kind of stuff, and oh, so God. like. Yeah, and also, that... and also the description of also the description of a sick of a sickly sweetness emanating <laughs> from it. Yeah, it's that sense of desiccated skin of, of dried out things covering solid things. That is, yeah, it. it I, I see where you get chicken wings from that. It's very. Uh, oh, yeah. That's so much more disturbing now. <laughs> um, another kind of random thing that I, I really appreciate about this story is. Um, if you have the book, uh, every story has a little um, uh, uh, pen sketch after it of some specific item that, that has to do with the story. Like after Candle Cove, there's a sketch of a uh, of a sailing ship. After one of the stories, there's a pickaxe. Um, uh, after uh, one, there's a bird on a branch, that sort of thing. After this one is a sketch of a baby in a basket. Yeah. Which is just like, oh. <laughs> To, Final nail in the coffin yeah. there, just like... <laughs> Way to drive yeah. that one home. Oh. Um, also, um, about, like, kind of regarding one detail about it, it's like, so the guy goes to a West Virginia college, and we're assuming that that's a college that's near Iker Falls, though it's never right, really mentioned. Right, and I think, um, I think that, um, you know, Iker Falls is canonically in West Virginia, like it has a location. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the the interesting aspect of this is that it, it doesn't like it doesn't relate to Iker Falls directly as part of a mythos or you know it's not like you know there's no there, these aren't in the you know the Miskatonic University yeah like this isn't like it's not like uh, Lovecraft stuff where it was um, uh, Innsmouth and or Dunwich mm-hmm. or um, what's Arkham there we go mm-hmm. Arkham yeah is his like main staple um, I, although I do think that it is supposed to be it is implied that it, the original encounter is in Acre Falls because it's the first lines are my father used to take me to the natural history and science museum downtown when I was six so contextually I think we can infer that it, it, it is originally located in Acre Falls but that's the other effective part of the story is that the first encounter has no actual location given it's just downtown it's yeah well actually he does kind of it does reference that he was um um uh, when he was six i think he was actually on the uh the west coast um, um and then he moved to the east coast to boston and then he went to the middle of, like to west virginia so i don't think it's actually i don't think i always kind of i don't it, I, maybe it's just me it like assuming that but it doesn't yeah. specifically say it says uh he used to take hmm. me to the natural history and science museum downtown and then the next physical location given is moving to the east coast so yeah you know, it, it it could start in West Virginia and 
you know, and, and I think if you when you set it in this book uh, next to all the other Icker Falls stories, yeah. it you know you can you absolutely can read it as okay, well this starts in Icker Falls and goes somewhere else, but it doesn't have to. Like you could just take this story for itself, and then it ends up in this you know sort of tangential location to Icker Falls. That if you didn't know anything about the Icker Falls story, if you didn't know anything about the Icker Falls setting, it's just okay. Well, you end up in West Virginia, but that just means she just followed you there. That's exactly, where she yeah. ends up. Yeah. Uh, um, the also the the ways that Lemon Blossom Girl is referred to is very interesting as the story progresses. Uh, you have the Lemon Blossom Girl in the first encounter, and then uh, the Lemon Blossom Girl in the second encounter, um, and then it starts referring to her as just she for a long time, um, and then uh, she's described as. What be, like just being Lemon Blossom Girl, not a Lemon Blossom Girl, not the Lemon Blossom Girl, just Lemon Blossom Girl as uh, an existence. As a name. Yeah. yeah. And then at the very end is my Lemon Blossom Girl. Yeah, exactly. The possessive yeah. The... quality of this haunting is just... Ugh. Ugh. He's just almost completely embraced mm-hmm. the fact that this this horror that is uh, has been stalking him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah... Lemon Blossom yeah. Girl. It's a, it's a good story. Yeah. Um, I think it also is one of the few stories where we have the narrator or the subject of the haunting being able to, or or attempting to do something about the haunting. Like, well, this is one of the rare yeah. cases where, like, the, the monster, as we can refer to it, has a weakness, and its weakness <laughs> is that it's an inanimate object. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It can't go anywhere, aside from in your dreams, but if you're awake, you're, you, have contr- you have some uh, agency to stop it mm-hmm. by burning it, by taking a gasoline tank to it. Yeah. Um, actually, one of the things that of note was... Um, the story, like, I mean, there's nothing really, like, antagonistic, or, like, there's something antagonistic, but it's not, like, um, very, like, act, uh, what's the word, uh, like, not active, um, like, it's very, uh, it, the, the entity, or the, 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 vi- or the, ah, the presence is, um, is hostile toward him for most of the, the story, but nothing really actually happens to him. Well, I mean, yeah. he just, he, um, he's, it's a, it's a perception of hostility, there's a, yeah. it's, this, this, it's, it, the Lemon Blossom Girl's always there, but, I mean, never, like, everything that we get, and I mean, honestly, I guess it's just because it's first person, but, like, it's just a projection. Like, all we all we know is that, is that it's there. And, that, and But again, I guess, like Sam said, like, that doesn't really matter, like, because to this, to this guy, because of his projections, this is a, it, it's a, it's this terrible, horrific thing that just, that just wants, that just wants and needs him mm-hmm. to keep living. Yeah. yeah, but um, no. What I meant was, uh, like, yeah, like so. Uh, we actually kind of it kind of gets to the good part and then doesn't proceed forward when he you know goes to burn it alive <laughs> or goes to burn it. Like yeah. we're, it just kind of stops right there. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. We because yeah. I mean I, I think at that point of the story we have a we we have we have what creepy pastas and and good ghost stories aim for is a a setup whereupon the only thing remaining is to either succeed against the horror and thus end the horror or be completely overcome by the horror and yeah the aim of creepy pastas is not to give you a resolution and yeah. so it's cuz paying one last visit to the lemon blossom girl 
will result in either the Lemon Blossom Girl being burned and the haunting being over, or the Lemon Blossom Girl being burned and having nothing happen to stop it. And yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's still just, it. no matter what happens, like, he could burn it to, at, like, complete ashes, and then the next night, it's still falling. It's yeah, still stopping it's, him. It's he's, this, he's still screwed. And I think it's this, it's this thing in general that, um, uh, the, the the one the one thing I've the one thing I have said is that uh is that good horror is like bad sex, <laughs> in that it just builds tension and then it just leaves you with the, and then it just leaves you there. <laughs> wow. Some some people nice. would argue that's the that thing, that's like, quite the... good sex, but I will I will not say anything more. So there's yeah so there's so the thing the the important thing about this and I think about I think about a lot of them. Um, is that there's no there's no resolution because that would that would make a ten- that would that would lead to a tension release that if there's even even if even if the even if the resolution of the story was I destroyed it and I still see her there's still closure yeah exactly there is a final point at which you can have some catharsis about how the story resolves also this one is f- especially effective because not only does it leave us on that cliffhanger, it leaves us on the cliffhanger wherein the the narrator takes their first actual action against the Lemon Blossom Girl, and so you don't even get to know how that resolves, which I think is just this perfect little cherry on top of the 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 blue ballsing of, of a creepypasta. Like, <laughs> like that there, there is something that maybe can be done, but you don't even get to know if they even get to do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, like that's what another thing I've noticed over time with these with reading creepypastas is that they they don't give you they give you kind of an um like I mean we're we're all uh, uh, we're all GMs for like role playing games and stuff too, mm-hmm. um so like to, like reading these these tend to be like uh, really good for like game fodder, <laughs> just as an aside um, yeah. from creepypasta. Well, yeah, yeah like well, I think that's that's less that's less to the way that. I mean, I guess it's somewhat to the way they're constructed because they're super, super vague, and so there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of cracks that you can fill in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, even this book, like, I mean, uh, it's been noted that, uh, like, we were, uh, uh, we were going over it, and um, the, a lot of the stories, like, could easily be used as uh, either, if not accounts that uh, that prefollow or that uh, no, that precede um a game <laughs> or like a scenario or could be just straight up artifacts for a scenario to yeah, start absolutely like um like probably our next one <laughs> yeah like our next one which uh, i guess i can start talking about end of part one for the Icker Falls stories tune in next episode for the conclusion